in this state, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing how the extremes we have. So in Psalm 86, <clears throat> I want to read to you just a few verses here. I want you to listen to this because this should minister to all of us. Uh, if you could really, I think you can find yourself right here in these few verses. And uh, we'll just read a few verses out of Psalm 86. It says, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble... I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, and that's little g, there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. And that's true. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Amen. Amen. Doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. Doesn't matter what color your skin is. Doesn't matter which side of the tracks you were raised on. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. There's only one true and living God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, with my God, with my with all my heart. I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me. A mob of violent men have sought my life, and and have set and have set not set you before them, but you, O Lord are a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. Word. Aren't you glad the Lord has been around the corner before we get there? Man, that's, that's encouraging, isn't it? And he's in charge. And we love him. Amen. Turn around and welcome somebody to church this morning. Children's church is dismissed to the building next door. We have two nurseries over there as well. We have a child. You're going to preach on uh, love this morning. One of the sisters in the church asked me, what do you do with people that are your enemies? I said, hold on, I'm getting ready to answer that. <laughs> So I appreciate the confirmation. Um, <clears throat> my grandfather was 70-some years old when he overcame his offense toward the Japanese. My grandfather was in World War II in the Pacific. I think he was the only one of his platoon that maybe got to come home. When he got off the ship in San Francisco, a lot of people don't realize this, but they were already, like much of the rest of the country is now then, he said when they came off the ship home in their sailor uniforms, a lot of people don't know this, but they were throwing things at them, spitting on them, calling them everything back then. Like Vietnam. We all know that about Vietnam, but that was happening even then in progressive San Francisco. How many of you like to eat at the Japanese restaurants? 
Amen. Somebody likes it really good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I couldn't get my grandfather to go for years because he had an offense toward the Japanese. Now, it's hard for us to understand that, isn't it? Because you, were, you and I weren't in the Pacific. We didn't watch the guys in the Philippines get impaled. But you can understand, right? And I speak to you, I confess this morning, when Stephen calls me, I have to pray to love some of my enemies. It's not an easy task, right? And here's what I want to say to you this morning. You won't be able to love your enemies if you don't pray for them. So let's go to uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Uh, let's just start with verse 1. Uh, <clears throat> that's a good place to start. John, 1 John, that's one of the three epistles over next to the book of Revelation there. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let's see what he's got to say to us about love. I want to take you through a little trip this morning about love. And we'll finish in 1 first, in Corinthians 13, of course. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and we know that is certainly increased because we're looking at the end of the age right in front of us. By this you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And I don't have time to get into all that this morning, but the confession and the Spirit are having to come into agreement there. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is not of God. And Jesus and every, uh, confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the Spirit of Antichrist. So you got those. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So. You know, when, they, when John talks like this, the beginnings of all that was here and the increase of it we've watched if you studied history and here we are at the full-blownness, full-blown situation. You are of God, he says, little children, and have overcome them. And that's the Greek word nikeo. It's where we get it from the word Nike. It means you have gained the victory because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's good news. Amen. They are of the world. So there's a difference between the people of the world and the people of God. You, are, you were a sinner. You're not now. Right? Uh, be careful about how you present yourself. Right? We, we were sinners. We're not sinners anymore. We've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. And that's what the world's looking for. That's why they jump on all these causes. They're trying to substitute redemption. They can't step into that moment of redemption because they're not coming to Christ. And so they look for it in other ways. He says, uh, they, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, and here you go into this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Now, that's a strong statement, isn't it? He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. 
In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. So there's really no life outside of Christ. So the only way we can truly live, in Him we live and move and have our being. So the only way to truly, truly come to life is to be born again, to be in Christ. Uh, if outside of that, you're just existing. Uh, if you, I could take you to places where you could really see the real clarity of that. If you go to some places even in our own country where people, they're not really alive, they're not really living, they're just existing. And that's, that's what sin does. That's what the nature of the flesh does. And this is love. He says, he is love. And this we love God. The love of God was manifested in Christ that we might live through him. Verse 10 says, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right? So love is the greatest principal thing about God, his love, the fact that he would love us in an unlovable state. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. We'll get to that word in here in a minute. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have, been, have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he, is, and he in God. And, and we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Let me, let me say this. The number one thing God would like to see out of us is love. That's the number one thing. And I'm going to prove that not here with this, only with this text, but in another text in just a minute. God would like to see love in us. The thing we think that God has been waiting on us to do something great, but he's been waiting on us to love. In fact, whatever you're gifted at, whatever you may have identified as gifted at, don't go around telling everybody you're gifted at it. Just let them see it. Don't be like the guy that they gave the badge of humility to and they had to take it away from him because he wore it. Your gift will make room for you. You don't have to talk about it. Let God open doors and shut doors. You don't want to go through no door he ain't opening. No way. You'd be better off to go have a cup of coffee. So this love, we've been, we think God's been waiting on us to do something great, but he's been waiting on us to love. That's what he wants us to do is to love. Whatever you're gifted at or however the Holy Spirit may work in your life, that's God. He designed us that way. And the Holy Spirit, we don't do anything but plant and water anyway. God has to give the increase. So we can't take credit for whatever we're good at, whatever that means, because God designed us that way. And His Spirit through us is what makes the difference, not us. The world don't need to see another one of us. You fill in the blank, whoever us is. It needs to see Jesus in us. And, and, and the chief principal way they do that is in love. And so He says, He says, Love is what, what God is looking for in us. And we've known and believed. <clears throat> uh, we have seen and testified the Father has sent His Son as Savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. We read that. 16, and we have known and believed that 
the love that God has for us, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. That's strong words. So everything about being in Christ and displaying his, that's all about love. It's all about, he's saying if we don't love, we're not in him. And there's, that's proven when he talks about the people who come and boast about the things they did. They said, we cast devils out in your name, right? We did this, we did that in his name, right? They used his name, right? But they did all that, but they didn't have love. And we're going to see that clearly. That if, they don't, if they're not living in love, it doesn't matter what exploits they do, it's not worth anything. And Paul's clear about that when we get to 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love has been perfected. There that word perfected is again. We'll look at that in just a moment. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, there's an assumption there, right? A true believer who lets love reign in their lives, there's an assumption that they're conducting themselves like Jesus would. Right? Now, Jesus didn't back away from the truth, but he was always living and abiding in love. There is no fear in love, right? If you abide in that love and live in that love and give in that love, letting that love come out of you, there's no fear there, all right? So what can we deduct? If there's some fear, not talking about fear of God, we're talking, that's a healthy fear, right? There's no fear in love because that love has perfected inside of us. So when you start seeing, here's your clue, when you start seeing fear creep into your life, check what's going on with love. Check what's going on with love in you. And then he says, but perfect love cast out fear. I think the Greek says perfect love cast out all fear. So I'm going to show you some things about love that when love's not operating correctly, it opens the door for things that we don't like. And that's what gives us trouble, when love's not operating correctly. And he says, um, but uh, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. How many know that's true? Has anybody ever went through a bout with fear? Right? Most, if you've lived more than six days, you probably have. You face something, right, where fear has just really tried to own your life, at least in that moment and in that season. And he says, if someone says, um, uh, fear has not, he says, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, I didn't say that. And you can justify your fear if you like. And you can say, I, I, I can hang on to this because. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says here, he says, uh, he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So when fear's got a piece of your life, love has not had its full reign inside of you and me. I got one amen on that, and I believe it's the same guy that amen the Japanese thing. <laughs> I need more amens on that. Now, I know we don't like to hear that, we don't like to hear that, hey, I'm not perfected in love, but the Bible says if you've got fear governing part of your life, you've not been perfected in love. Now, you can get mad about the Bible saying that, or you can even shoot the messenger instead of looking at the message if you want to. I prefer you don't do that. <laughs> or you can deal with it. 
Let me say something to you. This is, I, this is, I, I stole this from a guy who's dead. You know, I only read dead men and listen to dead men mostly. Guys that have already finished their journey, ahead of us, learned a few things. A lady called me the other day. It was a robocall, and she said, uh, I, sometimes I answer them because I just want to mess with them. That's not. That's the flesh. In <laughs> and she said, I called you about your computer. I said, you're talking to the only guy in the state of Kentucky that don't own one. She hung up on me. <laughs> so we, we got this fear has not been perfected in us. Or excuse me, love's not. If fear's ran around. And this is what I stole from a guy. He, he made this statement. He said, when the light comes on, you'll see the dirt in the floor. He said, you can turn the light back off and just not think about it. He said, you can clean it up or you can let it be scattered all over the room. But when you will never be the same when the light came on and the dirt showed up. You may not do anything about it. You may justify why the dirt's piled up over there. You can do a hundred different things about the dirt or not, but one thing's for sure, the dirt's there. And when the light comes on, it exposes the dirt. And that's what the Holy Spirit does with us, with sin, with fear, with doubt, with unbelief. He exposes that. And, and, and quit trying to fool around with God. If he's exposed something, embrace it. Let him do a perfect work there. Let his love flood that region of your life. Let it root that out. Fear ain't going to do nothing but cause harm anyway, right? Psalm 37. Fear only causes harm, right? Not anything good. We, you've all probably been in a circle when people use fear as a, like a means of spirituality. Well, I'm worrying because I'm more spiritual than you are. Really? That's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's the direct, that's the nature of the flesh. Why aren't you worrying with me? Right? A lot of people get offended if you don't get as worried about things as they do. But that's because love's not been perfected in a reason. And I'm not throwing any stones. We've all been there, and you may be there this morning, but let love move into that moment. Let it move in there. The Bible, when we come to the New Testament, a shift came, right? A shift of where uh, we have to make sure that we live like Jesus taught us, right? He, he brought us because now we're unlike the Old Testament believers. We now have the Spirit of the Lord inside of us, Jesus living inside of us, which gives us a unique advantage that the Old Testament folks didn't have. And the revelation of his sacrifice, all that that's happened. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness, right? Because he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. But he who fears has not been made perfect. We love him because he first loved us. And finally he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So I'm a writer. As you can tell, you get newsletters. I like to put things down on pieces of paper. It's harder to throw that away than it is to delete something. It's just laying there. And you may not read that newsletter when you first get it, but the Holy Spirit may prompt you two weeks down the road, whatever. 
So I like to write. And I've been writing for the last five years. I've been writing people that are my enemies. And I, I want, if I can reconcile that, some of them, sometimes I don't get any feedback, but I've seen several of those uh, relationships reconciled. And they've not always been my fault. Sometimes I've had fault in it. Sometimes they've had fault in it. Sometimes we've both had fault in it. But I, I want to love, I want to reconcile that because I think we're getting ready to get out of here. I don't, I, I don't want any enemies if I can help it. Now, we're going to have some because we stand for the gospel, right? And some of that was no, nothing we can do about but if you have somebody that you can reach out and restore, right, right, that we can restore them, that's what you want to do. And you don't have to draw attention to yourself to do it. You can do it in private. A lot of times those things work out better in private anyway, right? When you just send a little note, and the next thing you know, you're meeting at a coffee shop, right, loving one another. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to love. He says, this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. You must. It's not an option. You have to. All right? Now, we're talking about the body here. We're talking about uh, each other, right? We're talking about loving brothers and sisters, but we're going to take that a step further as well. Go with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, the book of John, the gospel of John. Let's look at verse 31 in John chapter 13. Now, we're talking about the body first, right? We've got to learn how to love one another, right? Prefer one another, right? Just put people, listen, put people in front of you. Let them go first. Learn how to do that. You'll, you'll reap a blessing in that that's it's untold. If you'll sacrifice for the Lord, sacrifice for others. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that we're to love, uh, to prefer our brother. And listen, this is a challenge to Christians because we live in a a self-centered world now and that culture tries to come at us all the time but it says to care more about the things of others than you do your own stuff that's Christianity that's not the world but that's Christianity when we care more about the things of others than we do our own stuff look at verse 31 so when he has gone out Jesus said now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Speaking of Christ, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He's talking to his followers. As I have loved you, and you also love one another, by this... They will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What, what would you have put in that? You might have said, in the flesh, we might have said, they'll know you're my disciples by the kind of building you meet in. They'll know you're my disciples. This is funny, because you go to church on Sunday. They'll know you're my disciples by the kind of doctrine you have. He didn't say that. Did They'll know you're my disciples by the kind of prayer life you have. That's supposed to be in secret. So nobody should know about that anyway. They'll know you're my disciples because of all the gifts you possess. Well, they're not yours. They're his. What did he say? He said, they'll know you're my disciples by how you love each other. 
Love. Love is the chief thing. Nothing else matters. I'm going to make this clear because we saw a little bit of that in 1 John and we're going to see it clearly in 1 Corinthians 13. Nothing else matters if you don't love. I said it. Me being a preacher, nothing else matters if we don't love. Now that word perfected that I mentioned to you earlier, uh, teleu is the Greek word for perfected. It means to be completed, affected by the process, to reach the goal. In other words, to be fulfilled. God wants you and I full of love. That's the number one thing he wants you full of. You've heard somebody say you're full of it? Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they're talking about love. Right? Probably not when they say. But that's what should be coming to their mind, right? When they see a Christian that we should be full of love. What about preferring one another? What about caring more about the things of others? What about having a heart that when somebody gets something beyond what you have, you're just as excited and rejoice about it as much as if you'd have got it? That's how we're supposed to be. I love it when people get blessed. I love it when you get blessed with a houseboat and then you invite me over. I love it. Do <laughs> you feel that hook? <laughs> now, let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 6. I'm going to talk about I'm going to take you on a trip here in a minute. I'm just setting you up. In Luke chapter 6, he talks about love again. And here we're challenged with loving our enemies. Look at verse 27. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who here love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Oh, I should have took up the offering before I read that, shouldn't I? Really? Do we have to do that? Bless those who curse you. What? And pray for those who spitefully use you. Now, here's the thing. I said this earlier. I set the stage for this. It's going to be... You, it's, all, it's impossible to love your enemy if you don't pray for them. And praying for them is more than God helped them to, to get right. Right? Because we're right. I mean... Just ask us. We're right. But <clears throat> praying in an intercessory way where you identify with compassion and mercy and long-suffering their state of blindness. Somebody said you don't have the right to preach on sin if you can't weep over the sinner. When I worked in the mines, they brought a guy in from another part of the state who knew everything. And these guys that are coal miners that sit up front here, uh, they can tell you every seam's different. Nobody knows everything. The rock's different. Some, it's just crazy. Well, he knew everything. And he came in, and he was throwing his weight around, and he was a tr real good sinner. And uh, <clears throat> one day he got on to me about my Christianity. It had nothing to do with the minds. He started working me over about me being a believer. And uh, I, I was getting raked over in front of other guys pretty bad about being a Christian and a lot of obscenities. <clears throat> and I heard Hank Williams Jr. start playing back here in the back of my mind. <laughs> and I, I thought... <laughs> I had to leave. I had to turn and walk out. And I went out to the hill. And I was still, Hank Williams was out there. He followed me. 
I was looking over this big hill, and I was having those thoughts of how I was going to get him out there and throw him off that <laughs> I hate to tell you, but we grew up on Hank Williams Jr., you know. And I was hearing that old song, I like to spit some beech nut in that dude's eyes and shoot him with my 45. <laughs> All that stuff was going through my brain, <clears throat> and I was so angry. And I, I, was, I was just wanting to get a hold, I was wanting to lay hands on somebody. And, uh, <clears throat> but I, I cooled down. I went home and my, as my routine. This was before I was married. I went home before I went to the shower or anything. I went straight to the creek bank. My parents live on a creek. And I went to the back of the property to the creek. And I spent the Lord, which was my custom every time I come home from the mines. Because I'd already been called to preach I just hadn't been released right I was in the desert and so I uh, coal mine same thing as the desert <laughs> so I was go back to the creek and I'd pray and when I started praying I started praying for this guy I didn't want to you know I was like Peter when he said the Lord said rise slay and eat you know and Peter said no uh, I ain't doing that and I was the Lord said let's pray for him and I said no he don't <laughs> I don't want to pray for him well, I started praying for him, and here's what the Holy Spirit did for me. He taught me a valuable lesson early on, even before I was in full-time ministry. I started praying for him, and it was like God took me and put me inside of this man's body. And I can still cry about it today because I felt the misery he lived in, the sin and the rot and the darkness, and it ministered to me, and it caused me to have compassion. And I started weeping, and it caused me to have compassion. It caused me to not carry unforgiveness toward him, and it helped me realize he was blind and that he needed a Savior and that the reason God <coughs> had sent him through there was not because he know, knew more than anybody. He didn't even know the kind of seams we worked in. It was a whole different than where he was at from Pike County, God sent him in there so he could get introduced to him through people like, wasn't just me, but through people that knew Jesus. Let me tell you something else I noticed. when I, were, I worked with a few Christians, a few, uh, and they would get so angry at people and they would let unforgiveness come in, they couldn't minister to them. And that's what will happen to you. If you don't learn how to love and don't let God work that in you, you won't be able to minister to people. Because love, as we're going to see in just a moment, it wins. Love wins. And so I learned a valuable lesson early on in life of how to pray for an enemy. To let God, don't just mention their name, identify. Get in there with them. Let God put you in that moment. Let the, that's, that's when prayer really takes you into that next dimension. When you get in that moment and the Holy Spirit can help you identify with that situation or with that person. And an intercessory begins to take place. And then he says, to him who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. <clears throat> I'm still praying about that one. But that's where he wants to take us, right? He wants to take us there, right? <clears throat> he wants us to be there. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. I've had that experience. I'm sure some of you have. People who've taken advantage of you financially or whatever, bald stuff and 
not giving it back. We've all probably had that. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. My wife and I, we were in ministry at this time, and somebody <clears throat> came to us and they needed money. And I'm self-employed, so I pay my own taxes quarterly. And we had saved up enough money, was getting ready to be quarterly tax time, and we gave that tax money away to this family that was in need. <clears throat> Two weeks later, they went to Myrtle Beach on vacation. <laughs> Boy, that was a tough one. We were young. We, we didn't have much money. And uh, we were just getting by, you know. And so we, we wrestled with that for a few weeks. And finally, when the Holy Spirit delivered us from that, and we were no longer offended by that, and we let that go, and I can say to you, I was hugging that person two weeks ago in a service when I preached out of town. Loving them. But here's what we said. We made agreement with each other that we never give, we never loan anything that we're not willing to lose. So just mark it up, right? That, that, that shouldn't keep you from helping people. It should change your disposition toward that, right? And then we started, as we've grown and learned, we realize everything we got is not ours anyway. It belongs to the Lord, right? So don't let those offenses set up. Get yourself some boundaries. My wife and I have argued a few times when she's been wrong. <laughs> I'm teasing. But we've never been offended at one another. And the reason we are not offended at each other is because we don't let the sun go down on our anger. We never, in 34 years, we've never went to bed angry. Because we made a covenant about that before we were married. We sat down and made three, and that was one of the three principles that our lives will be governed by. That the Word of God would have the last say, that the sun would not go down on our anger. And there's been a time or two where we've had to get the other one out of bed. You know how the flesh is, right? We had to go get somebody out of bed. But that's kept us from being offended. It's one thing to get aggravated and have a different opinion and fuss a little bit over it. It's another thing to get offended. And then the third thing was, and I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that if there's trouble on her side of the family, she handles it. If there's trouble on my side of the family, I handle it because they're not going to turn on their daughter or their son, right? The in-laws are the ones that gets the fire. So it's just wisdom that you take care of your side and your spouse take care of the other side. They're not going to be mad at their daughter or their son forever, right? It's the in-laws that get the incoming fire most of the time. So live, we've lived by those principles. And that one, I promise you, we live by. I remember sitting down before we were married, just a few weeks before we were married, and we set those three principles as our goal in our marriage. And, and that, that's kept us from being offended. Not kept us from being mad, Everybody gets mad. Everybody gets their feathers ruffled. Everybody has a bad day and carries it into a situation maybe they shouldn't, right? But you can keep from being offended if you live by the principles of God. And he says, and just as you want men, he says, give to everyone, ask you, and, ask, and takes your, don't, don't ask for it back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what good is that to those who do good to you? That credit is that 
to you, for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend the sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. That's instruction for followers of Christ. And your reward, that's loving with agape, right? No hook, right? If I can draw these arrows here, we use this to uh, illustrate eros in the Greek and agape, right? Love with no motive, love with a motive. We got to be careful, right? When's the last time you had dinner with somebody that couldn't pay you back? Jesus said, go out there, don't invite all your friends that can pay you back. He said, go invite some people that can't pay you back. Get them in and love on them. But we get used to our circles, don't we? And then he says, uh, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you, you will be the sons of the Most High. For he is kind of the unthankful and evil. So he's wanting us to take on his nature, right? That's what was being, I mentioned this in John, 1 John, that he, it was presupposed that we were going to conduct ourselves like Christ. That's what they were assuming there. That's what the Holy Spirit was assuming. You're conducting yourself like Jesus, right? You know, and we don't get to use that excuse, well, I'm not Jesus, but that's the goal, right, for us to become like him. And he says, for he is kind of the unthankful and evil, therefore be merciful just as your Father is also merciful. Uh, we, when we show kindness a lot of times and we don't get it returned to us, we're unwilling to show it the next time. That's not how Jesus was. And that's not how love is. And you're going to see that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. And this, this chapter here is crammed right in between. If, if I took you to Romans 12, you would see the gifts of the Spirit. If I took you to 1 Corinthians 12, you'd see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And then if I took you to 1 Corinthians 14, you'd see the abuse of all that and the flesh side of that. But right in the middle of that, he sticks chapter 13. And he says, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Have you ever seen that person that's the, that appears to be very spiritual, but they're mean? They don't have much love? He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Now, he's going to get clear with us. He starts off, that's pretty big to start off with. Then he says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, not just some of them, but all of them, which nobody does, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, right? In other words, I've got so much power working through me that mountains get out of the way. But have not love, I am nothing. And it's interesting that he stuck this chapter in between chapters 12 and 14 because the Corinthian church, they majored in what they thought was the power of God only and the love was lacking. And basically, he's saying, I don't care how much power you have, if you don't have love, it ain't worth anything. Wow. Who likes to eat Japanese now? <laughs> And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, here we go. This even cuts a little closer, right? We can understand this stuff up here in the top, people being wanting to be all spiritual giants, but not loving. But then he gets close to these other things. He says, I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. 
And that's what I, I, I see. We see that with this urge, all these causes. You know, I'm better than you because I don't use plastic straws. Okay. I don't like straws anyhow. I like to drink all my drinks out of glass. I don't like plastic. I don't like paper. I like glass. I got an amen on that. <laughs> but what's happening, people are searching for something to make them feel better about themselves. They don't experience redemption in Christ, so they take up a cause to make me feel better about myself. I'm better than you because I drive an electric vehicle. Yeah, and you stuck on the side of the road, too. <laughs> I'm waving at you with my B8 when I drive. <laughs> now, I'm, there's nothing wrong with electric vehicle. I, it wouldn't work for me because I drive to me mouth. Or nothing wrong with using a paper straw. But if that's your means of thinking your, your character's better, then you've missed the boat. That, that doesn't matter. And that, the reason people are looking for these causes to trump is because they don't know what redemption's like. Redemption is what makes us who we are. And so he comes in here, he goes on to say about love, says, love suffers long and is kind. Love is kind. And does not envy. Love don't envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. I'll tell you, when you know you're maturing, two things will tell you you're maturing. One is when you look at somebody and you can see that they can do something better than you. And the second thing is when you know you're right, but you hold it in because you know it would cause trouble. If you let it out. Now I'm not talking about truth as in the gospel. I'm talking about your opinion. You may be right about something. Somebody may be totally off base on how to cook something or whatever. And you just hold it in because you don't want an offense to come out of it. You know you're mature. Well let me show you how. If you run into that person. Let me show you how to. Let me show. Let me show. And sometimes you know you're mature when you can keep that let me show inside. And sometimes it's best to let people figure out things for themselves. And that's a hard task for parents. That is a hard task. But God wants us all to learn these lessons. The prodigal's father had to let him go. Do you understand that? Most parents would have not. But he had to let him go. And the reason he had to let him go is because what was inside of him needed to come out to the surface so he could see what was going on. God knows everything going on inside of us. That's not an issue. God, some people say, well, God let me go through that so he could see what I, did, what I do. No, he didn't. He already knew what you would do. He let you go through it so you and I could see what we would do. Because we don't cooperate very well until we see what he sees. How many know said about raising children? They don't cooperate until they see what you see. Right? And that's, that's a hard thing for Christians to get a hold of. It's hard to help somebody who can't see what you're seeing. And so God, the prodigal, had to go because what was inside of him was going to stay inside of him. See, and that's why it's important. The heart's the issue. 
That's really the issue. Jesus made that clear through the whole New Testament. The heart is the issue. Well, the prodigal was dressed up and fine at home, but he had a bad heart. And the dad had to let that go because he couldn't see that until he was eating with the pigs. And he finally said, uh-oh. I didn't realize. See, and you can, that's what's frustrating to Christians a lot of times when you're trying to help somebody. You can see the problem, but they don't see it. And if they don't see it, they're not going to cooperate. And he says, it's not provoked. Love's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things. All things? Did he have to throw that in there? Couldn't he just say most things? Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Look at the next line. Love never fails. So if something's failing, what's lacking? Love. If it never fails, if it's allowed to operate correctly and it never fails, then if something's failing, love must be lacking. Here's the noun form. Everywhere I read to you before that is the verb form of agape, agapal. John, both Johns, Luke, all that was the verb. In other words, when he was telling us to love our enemies, when he was telling us to love our brothers and sisters, that was the verb form of agape. It has to have action with it. Here's the noun form. It's the principle. This is agape here, but it's the noun form here. The, all the other places I took use the verb, so verbs have action. But let's read this a little different. He goes on and tells us all these spiritual things that were in the chapter before. All that's going to fail, but love never fails. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But let, let, let's see this. Love suffers long and is kind. And you may be sitting here listening to me somewhere, and you may be saying, yeah, but you don't know what I'm having to put up with because I will fill in the blank. You know, I, I'm not suffering long because of what? Well, you may not be suffering long, but that ain't what love does. Well, I'm not kind to them because you should have heard what they said about me. Well, you may be, and you may be justifying everything you're doing about not being kind, but that ain't what love does. Well, I'm not long-suffering because I tried that with him. That, that's kind of oxymoron, right? <laughs> I tried that for two weeks. I'm not long-suffering with them anymore because you don't know how they've treated me. You may be. That may be exactly where you're at, but that ain't what love does. You follow me? Look what all he says here. He says, uh, I'm not provoked. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. Well, I'm not bearing that. I'm not enduring. The reason I'm not enduring in that is because the reason I'm not hoping for that is because, and you may have a thousand reasons why you're stuck there, but that ain't what love does. So if I'm not operating towards somebody with this, if I'm doing my own thing, if, if I'm doing this, I'm justified in whatever I'm doing of, of not being kind to somebody, then I'm operating in Matthew. I'm not operating in love. He says, love never fails. What do we think don't fail? Think about your own life. If I could just talk to them, right? If I could just talk to them, no? If you could give them the love of Christ. Well, I'm not going to... Love forgives. Well, I can't forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. Well, maybe so. But that ain't what love does. Love forgives. 
So the question we have to ask ourselves, no matter how spiritual we think we are, are we living in love? Are we operating in love? Love never fails. It's the greatest thing we have access to. He says, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Now abide faith. Hope and love. Now think about this because it's impossible to please God without faith. These three, but the greatest of these is love. I don't. What do you not? I don't. I don't. I don't. You don't what? Well, if you only knew how the boss was treating me, you would know why I covet that and why I envy that. If you only knew. Yeah, you may be there. But that ain't what love does. So the next time you're faced with a situation challenged in the flesh, you've got to ask yourself this question. Is that what love does? I'm going to close with this. You guys can come to the instruments. Three things, the three main characteristics of a Christian are this. Love, giving, and endurance. Love, Giving and endurance. The world will mimic a lot of what we do. The world's out there feeding people. The world's out there, as he said, loving each other in the way that they love. The world, they threw their rods down, just like Moses threw his down. They'll do some of the things we do. But these are the characteristics of a Christian. Love, giving, and endurance. We live our lives that way. For God so that he what? Gave. That's the verb form of agape. Let's stand our feet. That's the verb form of agape there in John 3.16. For God so agapal that he gave. What happened? Jesus loved us and gave us. That's the characteristics of a Christian. If you want to master anything, that's what we should be working on. Love, giving, and endurance. That's what sets us apart, how we love each other. Let's bow our heads. Father, we may have a lot of things coming at us that cause us not to love. And we may justify having unforgiveness, having envy, not being kind. But that ain't what love does. You have called us to love in every situation. In every situation, we, not, we may not get to use our talents. In every situation, we may not even get to speak. In every situation, we may not even be recognized. But in every situation, we can love. And love never fails. I love this story, and it's one of my favorite stories. 
pastor friend of mine. Some of it, I can't remember. I told this, I think, on a Wednesday lately. But he's telling the story about his, this lady in his church who was a believer. And her husband had been abusing her, not physically, but just been going out on her and partying the whole time. Basically, they were married. She was trying to hope all things. She was living in love. He came home from work, as he did every weekend, and he hit the town. He came home, jumped in the shower, he got out of the shower, and she was down the hall ironing his shirt. She had biblical reasons not to stay married. But he went down the hall, and she was ironing his shirt. And he was caught off guard. He said, what are you doing? Now notice what she did. She used her authority in the spiritual realm. She didn't beat him up. She didn't call him names. She just used some spiritual authority. She said, you're my husband. Hear that? You belong to me. And if you're going out on the town, I want you to look nice. Now, I know some of you women are thinking, I would have knocked his book up before I would have ironed his shirt. <laughs> you may have, but that ain't what love does. She ironed his shirt. He was speechless. He leaves the house, hits the town in Buffalo, New York, drives around for 30 minutes, walks back in the house with his head in his hands, weeping. Gave his heart to Jesus. Renewed the whole family. Now, she had every reason to fill in the blank with something other than love. But you know what? Love never fails. If you're here today and you're struggling with love, maybe you're struggling with receiving God's love. Listen, if he asks us to forgive, you know he's going to forgive. I don't care what you've done in your past. Cast as far as the east is from the west. Redemption is the greatest thing in the world. God could have done anything. He could have judged us. He could have destroyed us. He could have turned the world upside down, shook all of us off, and we'd still been falling. But you know what he chose to do? Love. He could have been justified in filling the blank in with anything toward us. He could have said, you guys are thieves, robbers, liars, adulterers, fornicators. He could have filled the blank in with anything. But he filled it in with love. Now if you go home and you try to justify something that's not love, think about that. Love wouldn't have been iron, or excuse me, unforgiveness wouldn't have been ironing that shirt. Love was ironing that shirt. Being unkind wouldn't have been ironing that shirt. Love was ironing that shirt. And because somebody chose to love, there's another man going to heaven. Is there anything better than that? Is there anything more important than that? But I, you can but I whatever you want to. But that ain't what love does. As we worship, this altar's open. Will you come? Whatever you need. If you're a prodigal and you need to come home, if you've never known the Lord and you need to be born again and redeemed, if you've got any kind of issue in your life, you want to come talk to God about it, this altar is open. Will you come?